Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to Masters athletes who want fun, fitness, and to win races as part of their rowing practice. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, hey, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca, and hello to our audience. Seems we were away last week, so we're glad to be back with everybody. Yeah, we were a little sneaky. We kind of knew we weren't going to be there, but really we don't know whether you missed us or not. So if you missed us and you're watching, you know, please just just tick something in and uh, and tell us uh, yeah. if you missed us when we weren't here. We missed you. <laughs> so it, it was also my birthday and I was having out having way too much fun. Yes, yes. Well, it's it's very important to enjoy your birthday. So I'm 100%. I was 100%. 100% supportive of our decision. <laughs> so. I always wished I could have worked for one of those companies, you know, that gives you your birthday off as one of your vacation days. But I never well, they, sh they should. Well, we can we'll we establish now. the tradition at Faster Masters, right? Yeah. Right now we, we have a vacation day policy from now on. <laughs> now, this part's week is the part in the show. We just talk about the things that we have done recently for the broader advocacy of sport in rowing. And um, I am going to tell you how proud I am. For the very, very first time, I have had a rowing hack published on Row2K. And the hack that I have is called the coxing plank. This is something that we've done a lot at my club where we don't often have um, a coxswain who's the right size for the boat. And so we've devised this thing where you basically put a plank of wood across the gunnels of the boat and we screw a old uh, single skull seat to it so the coxswain can sit like high above the rest of the crew. As you can see here, a photo I sent them, which is a um, sideways shot. So you can actually see the single seat. Mm -hmm. um, which attaches to the steering wires just in case something goes wrong and you don't want it uh, floating off. Anyway, this is a rather poor picture of me uh, sitting <laughs> in the Cox's seat <laughs> on a very sunny day, but I'm sitting on the plank. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's the that's the fun for this week, and it's on row2k.com forward slash features. You'll, you'll find it. It's called Rowing Hack, the Coxing Plank. I think that's great that uh, I think, and you know what, I would ask people to, if you make a coxing plank, you know, write in and tell us how it goes because definitely I can't use one at my club because we only have singles. <laughs> so we have, until we have a, a cock, a boat with a, a coxing seat, I won't get to try it out. So. Oh, that's too funny. Hey, Andrea says someone at our club just shared that hack today. Well, now you know, world famous on Row 2K, yes. you know where it came from. Yes, absolutely. You know, and lots of people check out Row 2K and, you know, Faster Masters. We are an advertiser on Row 2K. So we usually have tips in the industry news each month. So you can keep your eyes out for that as well. Have you been doing anything this past week? Apart from I teaching. have been teaching a lot of new rowers. That has what that has been um, my month. And but you know, lots of lots of new rowers coming and trying and getting introduced to the sport. And of course, I'm you know primarily working with adults. But I've had some really interesting um, 
mother daughter mother son mm -hmm. combinations like the mother and then a teenage daughter and the mother and a teenage son um so that's been quite fun and they can come to the group sessions together so um i have been really pretty focused on on that and and my also i have a more experienced training group but yeah just doing a lot of introducing people to sculling and getting people on the water and um and then i also just passed my Canada coaching certi certification. So, so I guess that's my contribution to the greater rowing world this week. But, well, yeah. without your certification, these, these things are important. And I know it takes, it often takes more work than you think. Well, it, it is quite an involved in process because you have to do several courses as prereq prerequisites before you can actually take the main coaching mm. course. So, um, you know, so there, there definitely is a time investment in it, but I encourage all people in their federations, take your certification courses, you know, you learn some really good material. And I think regardless of what level coach you are going into it, you always learn some really good information. So, um, I thought the, the rowing Canada course was very, very well presented and quite detailed for, um, for what I expected. So it was really quite good. That's fantastic. Now, I just want to show you who my uh, photograph is of the week. This is Fernando Lorenzata. And uh, what a great picture of him sculling in winter. I think he must be in the Southern Hemisphere. He's wearing gloves, although he, he has bare legs. There's a great <laughs> picture off the stern of his single of him just coming right out to the catch and uh, just at full reach with that real look of determination. Yeah, yeah, he's ready to go. <laughs> so... We're about to embark on several podcasts focusing on beginners. Marlene and I both work with beginners in our own clubs, and beginners really are the lifeblood of every club because you cannot expect or hope your entire membership to be made up of people joining who can already row or have relocated to your town from somewhere else. And so beginners are how you fix that leaky bucket problem of, all the different reasons that people don't renew their memberships. They're really, really important fundraising, and we've talked about that in the past. But what we want to talk about today is more generally about beginners joining your group, how to incorporate novices both into the group, into the coaching structure, into crews. And lastly, we're going to talk about coaching mixed ability crews. So if you're a coach or a leader in your group, you may find that there are some tips in there that are helpful. So let's kick off and talk about beginners. Marlene, from your point of view, what times of year do beginners start to learn to scull or row? Um, I think depending on what type of boat you're starting your beginners in, because that could be a factor. Are you starting your beginners in singles or are they starting in team boats? Um, I start our beginners um, more towards the end of June. So we kind of focus, we wait till our water is, is above, above cold water temperature for sure. Um, just for safety point of view, um, because we are focused, you know, primarily on singles. So, so as soon as the water temperature is not cold water conditions, you know, then we start incorporating um, beginners. And <clears throat> what what I typically do is have a um, have a one on one session with the with the 
athlete the first time or perhaps two people at a time and do a basic overview, get them in the boat, um, see if they like it. You know, the, I think the first the first session in the boat is always a little bit of come and try and do you like this and is this something that you'd like like to pursue? And and I tend to find that either someone is strongly in favor of it or they say, well, I'm not really sure this is for me. I, I usually find that there's not really too much of an in-between here. Um, but, uh, you know, the first session is just getting in the boat, just seeing what the equipment is, giving an overview of, just giving a big picture of, of the stroke and uh, a bit more demonstration, I think maybe on the coach's part initially, just to show what, what the stroke looks like, not getting too technical kind of, you know, and, and having them get into the boat. And, you know, the first thing is always like, what do the oars do? You know, that's usually the first, just the first session, I'm just like, sit in the boat. Um, it's strange for people to go backwards sometimes, especially mm -hmm. if they're kayakers or um, canoeists, they're used to looking where they're going. But, um, you know, getting them in the boat, hopefully nice conditions, you know, I try to avoid days that have too much wind, so that they're, you know, we try to create the environment so they're as comfortable as possible, I think, on the first session. Yeah, one of the things that we've talked separately about how to teach beginners, but for me, teaching adults is a real treat because they want to learn. And they're there for so many different reasons. Like you, I really believe in getting them in a boat on that first lesson. I know that there, some people teach this differently. And it's always really interesting that one of the number one things that nobody ever asks is, how do I turn this boat around? They're asking all these questions about yeah. the oars, like Marlene said, what do these yeah, oars yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. And I typically set them off in a stable single and I'll say, right, you're going to row a little square. You're going to go up there. You see that little pontoon? You're going to turn left. And then you're going to go right across parallel to where we are now. When you're level with the tree on the edge of the clubhouse, you'll come back to make a little square. And off they go. And none of them ever ask me, how do I turn this boat around? And they always work it out. It's, I know. It's funny. Well, and often I think you'll find that you, you have people who um, are already doing some type of water, water sports. So, so then they, they assume they can figure it out, but sometimes it's kind of interesting how, how, it, how it plays out. But, but I think making sure on that first session, you know, make sure that your, your sculler or your rower is comfortable. Make sure that you're in, you create a more stable situation. I think because if, if they're dealing with too much balance issues, it, they're just not going to understand what the oars do or feel the blades in the water and initially just find the water. I mean, just knowing the, the, the first tendency is, is get in the boat and then push your hands all the way down to your legs. And so the oars go way, way up in the, up in the air. Right. And then they're like this and it's like, okay, now lift your hands up because this is different in rowing than in other sports. They have, their hands are up at their center of gravity and, and just getting them to find where the water is and even just moving the blades feathered across the water to understand the angle of the oars so that so that you know where your hands are because there you know there's a lot of space between your handles and your legs and if you push your handles all the way down then you're just on the narrow narrow boat which is a lot more difficult for them to manage so i think just the orientation of 
where are the blades? Where is the water? Um, letting the blades do the work for you. Teach them that the blades will stay at the right depth if you leave them at the right mm -hmm. depth, you know, and not, and, you know, just this sense of like things being level is quite challenging on the first day. It, it certainly is. And I think that the thing that people come away from that first lesson is oh my god it's so nice being out on the water they generally don't talk about their frustrations of handling the oars they just begin to get that feeling of the glide of the boat and sometimes you know there's some bird song or some ducks or whatever they like being out on the water yes well and and i i would agree with that i think the initial thing is as soon as they get a couple of strokes regardless of the quality of those strokes but as soon as they feel the boat move a lot of people comment that it's unlike anything that they've ever felt because it's it's a long stroke and if you're a paddler you know your your strokes you don't spend as much time in the water as you do in rowing your blade is in the water much longer even if you don't have a very long stroke your blade is still in the water and that sensation of the boat gliding and the sensation of how they they swing a little bit and use their body weight. And I find that people come away from that and as well as, oh my gosh, this is so incredible to get out on the water this way. And that's usually the, you know, if if they're in favor of this, that's usually their, I think that's the first emotional reaction is it's a bit of a high. And if you can get that in that first lesson, that's ideal. As Marlene says, pick a nice day. Hopefully they'll they'll enjoy it. So the purpose of the first lesson is to get people to come back for the second lesson. So let's go into a little more detail now, imagining I want to talk principally to people who are on club committees, club boards, who are maybe coaches, and talk about how we can manage a group of beginners as part of the wider group that you work with. I'll kick off by saying it's really critical when people start that you have the beginners in a group on their own there is no point trying to put a beginner in with a more experienced group unless it's just two people in a double skull and the more experienced person is just sitting the boat and maybe giving some one-on-one -on -one coaching because particularly adults learn at their own speed it's actually quite challenging to try and get a bunch of people to all learn at the same speed because different people will grasp different things at different speeds. And as a consequence, having a group of beginners or novices as they're often called in the UK, who are all learning together is actually beneficial because they talk amongst themselves and they laugh about the challenges that they faced. So having a explicit learn to row course, which may be six lessons or however you want to organize it. Um, we choose to do six lessons over three weekends so that people do Saturday and Sunday on both days on the weekend. And they keep the momentum of the learning up. That for me is a really important first step. Yes, I, I think so too. And I, I think when they're when you have a group together, you have to first work on their basic skills of stopping, turning the boat, 
backing and then rowing. This can be quite challenging at first for novices because you teach them how to back and then they want to keep backing. And then you say, okay, well now row. And then it becomes like, oh, am I, you know, rubbing my stomach and patting my head? So, you know, getting that, that sort of mental switch from maneuvering so that you're, you know, that you know that you're backing and reverse feathering. Okay. And now I'm going to row and I'm going to feather um, the the regular way. And so this takes a little bit of mental flexibility as to what is going on, but it's also just from a technical skill to be able to change from one moving in one direction to moving in the other direction. And then that, that, and so it's, it's quite easy that some, like Rebecca said, some people can grasp that really quickly and other people really get stuck there. And it takes, it just takes them, a, they get it, but it just takes them sometimes a couple lessons to have that ability to like, oh, I'm backing. Oh, now I have to row. And, you know, where do I, do I start? Where are my hands? Are they at my body? Are they, you know, where are they? Where do I start from? Is the blade still square in the water? And, you know, those kind of basic skills. So I think, I think you have to make sure people are, have, have some um, maneuvering skills before you start to incorporate them in with other more experienced people because if they're going to get held up somewhere that's probably where it's going to happen in the beginning so one of the things that i particularly enjoy as part of the teaching beginners is having them row on their own and then having them row in doubles we typically teach people sculling before sweep um, but even if you're teaching sweep getting people to sit in different seats in the boats so they're following somebody or being followed and Getting them to learn the basics for the next step is what are the timing points for following another athlete? Fundamentally, there are only two. One is the elbows of the person in front of you around the finish. And secondly, when their slide starts to move as they start to roll forwards on the recovery. I don't worry about teaching too much the catch timing, the placement at the start of the stroke, because it is so variable. And there are so many things that impinge on it that actually if you can get people moving in time around the finish, and the finish is quite probably the most challenging part of the stroke when you're a beginner. You've got to get the oars out of the water. You've got to have vertical displacement of your hands. You've got to twist the handles. There are so many different things that you have to be able to do at the finish that actually that's in a way more challenging and often I find that when less experienced coaches come alongside me with a, a novice crew and they'll say have you seen they're not doing this or, or they are doing that and they shouldn't be doing it and generally I don't worry about that too much because people learn in their own way and learning by experiencing by doing is a way that um, Wolfgang and Volta, um, uh, Volker Nolte explain in their master's rowing book. Wolfgang is the man who wrote the chapter about teaching beginners. And the method he explains is really clear. It's a step-by-step -step method. It happens, this is genuine coincidence, to completely coincide with how I teach. Uh, so obviously I think it's marvellous, um, but it was very reassuring for me to hear that that's how he does things. But one of the things that he reflects particularly on is that adults learn in a substantially different way from children. 
and you can explain till you're blue in the face, but actually with adults, it's quite important to push them out and make them go and try and work things out by trying. Most Many adults try to intellectualize. They want words to explain, demonstrations to explain, but actually I prefer to make them go and try it, which adults are more reluctant to do. Children are usually very happy to do, and children learn very well by just trying it. But it's really, really good that when they've just tried it, then when they come back and ask more questions, the questions are much more informed. Yes, yes, I see it. Yeah, they learn by the discovery, and then they're going to say, well, then how do you change the position of the or? or because when when someone goes out one of those initial times sometimes they absolutely feel correctly what should be done and you don't have to make any corrections so that's just going to depend on 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 the experience of of the person as an athlete somebody who has a good athletic background might pick things up quite a little bit easier than somebody who's doing their first first athletic experience perhaps and i have definitely coached adults in their 50s who start rowing and that is the first athletic thing that they have ever done so um, it's quite possible that you you could get a beginner or a novice who doesn't have any previous experience as well as somebody who has experience in a lot of sports and you certainly don't need to correct things that they're already doing that they feel how to do so I think that's an important thing and then then as Rebecca says they're going to ask you the questions well like, how do I, the feathering gets everybody, right? So how do I feather this? How do I feather this oar? How do I change the position of the oar? Or getting them to understand um, keeping the long arms, you know, and it might, and I, sometimes I'll just say, if your legs are bent, your arms are straight. If, you're, if your arms are bent, your legs are straight, you know, and it's just, you know, just things because that's where the coordination comes in on the drive of building building working in that sequence but you know they have to go out and and see oh how come how come the how come the boat is down on this side and how come the boat is down on that side and and I said to one woman today I said yeah but your look at your handles are quite far apart this way if you bring them together the boat's going to feel quite different and then and then you let them try it in row circles and watch their blade and see what it's doing and you know it's it's play you know you just you want them to go out and ex experiment and and you know there's no judgment on this you just go out and experiment and and um enjoy yourself have a good time you know what you can i always tell people you can stop and take a break you know you don't have to keep moving all the time because stop take a break look at the view i mean you know if you're rowing particularly if you row in a location that's a beautiful location just enjoy the scenery enjoy being out and then you know then go back to your task of oh what's this org going to do now so yeah so how we learn firstly definite explanation secondly try it for yourself and thirdly when people come back with observations and challenges that's when drills and exercises can be useful to isolate a part of the stroke so that you can practice it slowly on its own before trying to incorporate it. And that as a principle is a really great way to coach. See what they're already doing, see what changes you want, start with a drill as a way to help people make the change. Because until you're an experienced athlete, telling someone to get their blade down to the water is fine, 
but if they're not experienced, they won't know how to do it. So mm-hmm. the how do I make the change that the coach is calling for is something that coxswains need to learn. And it's definitely something that a lot of coaches forget that that sort of explanation is really needed. Absolutely. And if you have a, a novice group, you know, start on land telling them, like if you, if say there's one element that you would like to work on in that, in the, one of those initial lessons. Um, for example, today I worked on their hand position when they placed the blade in the water. That was our topic and, and keeping the wrists, um, keeping the wrists flat on the drive. So what we did was we started out on land saying that this is the one thing we're going to work on today. And, you know, I took a handle, just a grip of an oar and showed a little bit the hand position. And then I actually got into the boat and demonstrated for them. We, we, we worked on the push pull drill, which is just rowing in place, which is a, a drill we use at faster masters quite a bit that helps establish the handle position. And I got in the boat and I showed them how to do that and how to position their hand to make sure their hand was correct on the drive. And, um, and then, then we had them get in the boat and, and go off and get their own little, little spot in the, in the bay and, and work on that a bit and then, and then try to blend that into their rowing. But it's important, I think, to give them um, a, a little bit of a demonstration on land so that they can, they can listen because when once they get involved in moving, it I think with novices, you really should stop them and talk to them about the element or make a correction and then let them row again. Because if you talk to them while they're rowing, they can't process all of that. There's just too much going on. Um, so giving them a, a good visual image of what you're looking for, what you want them to work on, it's very helpful. And then let them go out and spend a few minutes on their own, working on it, and then see what their feedback is. And Yeah, for sure. So that's a really good principle. Explain in words, demonstrate the point on the bank, let them try it in the boat, and then use drills to further explain. Now, mixed ability groups are important part of any rowing. It doesn't matter whether it's age or skill. The fact is we aren't all at the same level. However, having the right attitude in the club members towards mixed ability groups is what is probably the most important thing. Too often, and I'm going to be very direct here, experienced rowers think they're too good to row with beginners. And as a consequence, they are unwilling you know, to share their expertise and they don't understand the impact that they can have on newer, less experienced people just by agreeing to go out in a boat with them. So if I had a magic wand today, I would love every Masters Rowing Club in the world to start a jamming session, which is what my club calls their Saturday morning sessions, where everyone shows up, there are no preset crews, and you will row with whoever you're told to row with, And the organiser deliberately mixes up the abilities so that people get to see and feel and experience and get coached in the boat by more experienced people. 
Yeah, and I think that's good to, as you said, to just build that into the club program. And some clubs have a certain time of the season when they do that. Um, it sounds like your club does it on a regular basis. So it's every Saturday. Everyone knows that this is the kind of session that we're doing so that you change your expectations so that, um, say, experienced people or people who are training for competitive rowing don't come to the practice and get frustrated because I want to work hard. You know, everybody has to, you know, our novices have to uh, scale up. Our experienced people have to scale down. But it's it's an important part of building your program because because they get to experience what it's like to row with um, better people. They get to experience some acceleration. They get to experience the boat moving because at first for a novice, they don't really understand how to accelerate or um, they don't understand what swing might feel like. And, and those are things that you need experienced people to, to help your novices feel in the boat and just to, to improve their rhythm their yeah. rhythm and their timing and just get them, give them a sense of, wow, you know, this is what I'm working towards. You know, this is what my technique is, is working towards. And, and I think it's an important part of, of every club that rows team boats to, because you, because those novices this year might be really good competitive people next year. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, so that's how you're going to continue to improve your crews. And if you're a club that only does single skulls, you can still go out in mixed ability groups. When I myself was a beginner sculler, I was out on the river. And there's a girl I knew called Anna, much more experienced sculler than me. And I was sculling in front of her. And I remember very vividly finding that by watching her, I got in time. And mm -hmm. I was rowing at the same rate as her. And I had a, a speed meter in the boat. I noticed I went faster when I rode in time with how she was rowing. Now, if you're experienced, you'll know exactly why that's happening. But at the time, I was like, "Wait, yeah, this know. is cool! Like, wow, this is cool! <laughs> like, the numbers getting better." But yes, absolutely. You know that that type of shadow rowing is can be, mm -hmm. especially if somebody learns more visually. You know, I use that technique quite often that I say, go ahead of me and I'll row, you know, I'll row a little bit slower pace so that they can match the timing. And it's a it's a great way of rowing a double when you don't have a double. But yeah. that them, you know, for many people, that is a very, very successful technique because they they just want to match. And, and that's another very effective way of teaching. And, um, you know, I often have groups that can have people of different speed in them. I, I try to, you know, separate it as best you can, but there are certain times when, you know, that's just the way it is, right? We, and, and you can still give people, if you're in singles, you can still give people individual attention at the level of their ability, no problem, even if you've got five scholars of different abilities on the water at the same time. I think the important thing to do is determine a course. Like I have a, um, I use a 1,000 1, meter stretch and I will say from here, you know, we start at, at this boat dock, we row up to a bridge, which is about uh, 1,000 meters. 
then turn, come back down to this spot, turn, go back up. And, and I keep them in a 1,000 meter, um, each direction, a 1,000 meter loop. And because we're focusing, perhaps in this session, we're focusing more on technique. And this way, I can, I, in a motorboat, you don't have to create a lot of wakes. You can stay, you can, you can move at a slow speed and still be able to get around and work with each person individually. Um, because the last thing you want to be doing is zooming back and forth between people in a motorboat and waking a lot of people. So, um, so I'll just have them moving in a circle that gives them enough time to get a, a good stretch of strokes in and, you know, move between them. And then it's okay if they move at different speeds and they learn how to move in a, in a traffic pattern, which is also part of developing their skills. They have to look around. They have to be aware of where the other scholars are. Are they going up on the right side of the course? Are they coming down at the right side of the course? So you do sneak in skills with those types of things too, but, and they get to see other rowers, right? So they get to see how, how other people are sculling. And, um, you know, the, the important thing is just to make sure that you address each person at the level that they're at. Yeah, so I take a slightly different approach. So when I have a mixed ability group, what I'll generally do um, is I will say to them, we are going to meet at this point. So get on the water and start your warm up and we'll meet there. And I will say, if you know you are a slower sculler, get on the water first. Mm -hmm. And it's very much, uh, we have an ethos of helping each other. So particularly if you're a beginner, you probably won't be carrying a single on your own. So someone may help you. And so then that sets the expectation. If people think they're a faster sculler, they will expect to be helping the other people on the water. Then when we meet, I do the briefing again on the water so they know what's going on. Yeah. And quite often we will start by doing a drill and I will have them practice the drill with the slowest people going off first. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a speedboat, I will coach the people at the back of the pack so that the faster people get coached first, then they will inevitably overtake what's in front of them. And then once they've overtaken, as you say, I don't want to wake people, right. I don't want to wash them down. So I'll then coach the next person who's at the back of the pack and then the next person. And particularly in singles, my experience as an athlete is that you don't need that much coaching. What you probably need is the coach to come and talk to you for maybe two minutes and then leave you to try and practice the thing that they've told you to focus on. Because focusing on more than one thing is really hard. Yeah, it is. And they need time to process it. So to make sure they understand it, let them let them row. You know, sometimes I'll let them row. We sort of are working in oftentimes like a two kilometer stretch. Let them row all the way down. And then when we stop and turn, then stop, review, get feedback, ask a question, and then let them work on it again because they need to concentrate. And, and sometimes if you're if you're not everybody can receive coaching when they're moving. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. um, you know, some coaches are are uh, like El Moro, I remember uh, the who was the head coach in Canada for a long time. He, he said that he always let his, he, he only spoke to the crew when they stopped to turn around. So mm -hmm. then he would mm -hmm. tell them what to do. But when they were in the middle of a piece or working on something, he didn't, didn't coach them. It was always, 
during the rest period. And that, that was one methodology methodology that he used quite a bit. And this is with, you know, elite athletes too. So you need that focus. You need that precision, but, you know, letting people work on things for a little while is very important. And then see what feedback they have for you in terms of, oh, I had trouble with this, or that went really well that time. You know, they'll tell you, wow, you know, okay, I understood that a lot better. I could feel the boat moved much better. That was easier today. And, and, um, you know, then you just, just, you know, let them discover how to work on things and, and, uh, you know, and then we add our little tidbits, but, you know, give them the idea, then let them go practice and then review, let them go practice. When it comes to crew boats, I have some reasonably fixed rules, which is your most least experienced people go in the three and four seats in an eight, they go in the two seats in a quad or a four, um, and in a double, you probably want the least experienced person in the stroke seat so that they don't have to steer and the other person can give verbal guidance. In a double, you can, of course, switch seats around, but actually beginners are far less good at following than Correct. the more yes. experienced person. So although it's nice to follow someone more experienced, in fact, they may learn better by having an experienced person behind them. These aren't hard and fast by any stretch of the imagination, but it does mean that in all likelihood, you can keep the balanced while someone that's less experienced row with you. And if you choose your outing carefully, you can do a drill that everybody can do, but maybe do it in pairs so that mm -hmm. the less experienced people do it to their ability but they're not getting in the way of the more experienced people doing the drill in a pair, you know, say you're in a, in a quad, you have stern pair do it and they're more experienced. So they can get a good part of the outing for themselves, practicing the drill, demonstrating it skillfully, you know, and making it a good part of their own row. And then obviously they take a little bit of a backseat later on. So there we go. Good, excellent tips. Coaching mixed ability groups. If your club, I'm going to just wrap up with this, but if you know in your club that you have people who are really not making themselves available to support beginners, I have one suggestion, which is that you review your membership application form and that on the form you state, you have a statement of expected behaviors and you make it clear what times of year or when you're going to do your learn to row programs and that volunteering to uh, coach or you know be a helper is part of their membership requirement and you will quite quickly find that attitudes change because people who don't want to sign up to that may not rejoin your club yes that may be a loss but as you can probably tell, my belief is that in the long term, you need new beginners to join your club. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there we go. Great. Any final thoughts? Um, we have some great feedback from one of our faster masters. Shall I read that out? And we'll end mm -hmm. on. And this comes from Regina. And this is our some of the feedback that she has sent us. So. Thank you for the class this past month. I'm still incorporating the things that you taught. The talk about 
The headwind and tailwind was really enlightening, and I've been using that technique quite a bit since we've had a lot of wind this spring. As far as suggestions, talking about the program, I prefer to read most material in addition to watching it. It is very valuable to see someone demonstrating techniques. It seems like I could go over the material a thousand times and still feel like a beginner. Well, we encourage the beginner's mindset. I guess that's the beauty of the sport. The workout suggestions are great, and it helps me to have a schedule that has been successful so that we eternal novices do not have to reinvent the wheel. Everything presented has values, and I have not utilized it all yet, and I have lots left to incorporate, and I think you've done a great job. The pre presentations are clear and concise, easy to understand, not always easy to do, but we're building skills here. I love that I get to go over the material because you get something new out of it each time. So thank you, Regina. We really appreciate that. And good note to end on today. Yeah, so Regina was on the fitness program, which is the latest of our programs. And if it sounds like something that you'd like to try and you like the sort of advice that Marlene and I have been sharing today, go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. You'll see the full sweep of programs that we have. Some of them are monthly training plans for people who race and people who don't race. Others are one-offs and they are webinars about things like rigging and aging well. Uh, there are also 12-week programs you can buy that build up to either a 5K or a 1K event. We will see that these are just for on-water or erg training. They don't include all the other material that you get in the subscription monthly plans. But take a look and let us know if there's something that suits you or you'd like to see a little bit more before we have some questions. Um, there's easy chat features on the website and we love getting questions because it helps us see how you perceive what we're offering and whether or not it's suitable. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the podcast dedicated to you, the Masters athlete. And we broadcast each week at the same time, except for the first week of the month. We do it a little earlier so that our friends and colleagues in Europe and South Africa can join us. I've been Rebecca Caro. And along with Marlene, we will see you next time. Bye-bye.